Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The pair of comedians on today's show used to really hate each other. Now they spend most nights making each other laugh. The biggest insult now, too, death threats, for some reason, they don't bother me. But what makes me laugh is the people that, like, in our culture now, the worst thing you can say is unfollow. Like, that's going to hurt me. Like, unfollow. It's like, I used to play arenas. (laughs) Millions of people have unfollowed me. (laughs) You're really late to this. Todd Oakleyware for Life 7. It's... it's the, it's the, it's, in fact, now is a great time. We should say this right out, uh, out of the gate. It, it, we're going to go, well, we're going to talk for a while tonight. And, and, and <laughs> if anything Bob or I says, does sincerely offend you, we, we don't want you to feel that it's incumbent upon you to come up to us later <laughs> and explain it to us. That's your secret. <laughs> This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Bobcat Goldthwait and Dana Gould in their new documentary-slash-comedy special, Joyride. These two could not have been more different when they first started performing stand-up in the early 1980s. As they explain on today's show, Dana was a tightly wound intellectual comic, while Bobcat was known for his outrageous, self-destructive character, who would scream at the audience and once set fire to Jay Leno's Tonight Show set. But as they've aged, their styles have converged. And in Joyride, they perfectly complement each other both on stage and in the extended car ride scenes where they almost forget the camera is rolling behind them. I've been such a big fan of both of these guys for so long, so it was a thrill to have them join me for this week's show. This is a really fun conversation, including some hilarious digressions about Bobcat's 30-year beef with Jerry Seinfeld and Dana's favorite jokes he ever wrote for The Simpsons. So let's get into it. Here's me with Bobcat Goldthwait and Dana Gould. There he is. There he is. I was just texting you, Grandpa. You're Can we just keep it this way where Dana's muted? All right. This is this is exciting, guys, to have both of you here. Bob, say something that would get you canceled. <laughs> <laughs> I would like... It is very exciting to get both of us here. Uh, something that would get me canceled. <laughs> Go on. Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> I don't think I am canceled. Are you cancelable? That's the question. Yeah. There's Not no- really. <laughs> you have to be at a certain level to be canceled. I don't. I think you. You maybe you were. You were canceled back in the day. Maybe that's. No, I think like you have to be a multimillionaire that's thrown off by uh, when a marginalized group speaks up and complains. About you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I'm yes. not a multi-millionaire, uh, and I tend to side with marginalized groups. So I don't <laughs> think I am cancelable. That's good to know. That's good. Um, well, we'll we'll get to we'll get to all of uh, all of the history there. But I want to start with the with this new documentary, which I just got to see and really really enjoyed. I think it's kind of like a comedy nerd dream uh, movie, um, just <laughs> to see you guys hanging out and on stage and and everything that goes into this tour that you uh, did together. But I would kind of like to start with with the documentary. How did this 
was it was it a tour that became a documentary or did you always want to make it into a movie or how did it all come together yeah it was all organic it was uh dana and i like together we can sell tickets at a rock club comedy clubs although i do make my living going out to them a lot of them are it's not pretty you know I, and i always say i make a living so i can make movies i don't make a living making my movies but uh <laughs> So, so this, we started doing this show. We would go on at different times. One of us would, we'd come out and flip a coin to see who was going to headline for the evening. And then what we realized that time when we went out and flipped a coin, people seemed to be enjoying that show a lot more than our individual shows. <laughs> so we just jettisoned that part of the show and then just would stay out on stage together for the whole time. And the first time we did it, it was a lot of fun for us. And, and I think the audience too. So, so then the idea of shooting it came up, and if if it hadn't been for the pandemic, it would have been a more straightforward stand-up show, but it allowed it it allowed me and the editor's time to make a documentary. And I and I rolled cameras on our, us hanging out, but on purpose uh, I, I put the cameras behind us in the car. In the car, yeah. Yeah, because I I, I wanted it. I didn't want Dana and I performing for the cameras. And subconsciously, we probably always knew they were there. We definitely did talk more the way we really did talk, and we weren't on. That's interesting. In that, in that regard, the comedy viewer is really the pandemic's final victim. Because <laughs> <laughs> now, now every comedy special is a documentary. <laughs> is that true? I don't, I don't really watch them. Are no, they? No, there, there, there are a lot of them. But, uh, if this catches on... Because uh, it's really, I mean, it's Bob's movie. I'm in it, but Bob made it, and it's great. And I say that, uh, you know, I'm in it. And it's uh, if you look at my filmography, there's not a lot of great movies that I'm in. Um, but uh, but uh, no, and I, you know, I hate watching myself. And I was really impressed. It it has a story in addition to a lot of funny stand up that we, you know, we're both very good at what we do, uh, and you know. At, at this point in our careers, it would be really tragic if we weren't. Bob makes his living as a director. I make my other living as a writer. So I can construct the story on the page and give it to the filmmaker. Bob had the film already and had to construct the story post-fact. And I was really, really, really impressed with what he did. And that he and that he had the uh, selflessness to make himself the villain. <laughs> yeah, to make myself the... Yeah, to I have to, you know, I don't think I've ever told Dana this, but when 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 you said that thing where it starts, where you said, we didn't like each other when we met, and I said, no, I hated you. And, and Dana's like, well, I hated me. I go, so we had that in common. I kind of knew, uh, honestly, at that point, I go, oh, uh, we might have an arc here if we start with that. But then... As, as as this sounds really pretentious, but as a storyteller, I knew that, oh, so you have to apologize <laughs> at some point on camera in order to in order to give this thing an arc. Uh, yeah, I, I love that as the premise that you used to hate each other and now you're up on stage together every night. Um, this is a great concept. But I wondered how, how much truth is there in the fact that that you used to have this antagonistic relationship when you were much younger? 
Yeah, it's, oh, it, oh, I was it's, very, it's all true. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was very vicious to him. I was very, I was very cruel, and I was happy when we found that footage where I'm kind of out throwing him, and and his parents are there, and I'm saying it's not pretty, and I'm like, oh Dana, do that bit about women having stinky pussies, which I don't know why I say I, it's just <laughs> bad, it's ugly. Dana's here, and his folks are here, and he thinks that he has to do the right amount of time, and I wasn't gonna bust his balls. Come on out here and do that bit you do about women having stinky pussies here. <laughs> do the stinky pussy bit, will ya? Mom and Dad want to hear your stinky pussy bit. That gives you a, a small inkling of how vicious I was to him. So it was interesting because I, I never saw this movie. Like Normally when I make a movie, I, I, I get a handful of friends together and I get to watch it and see what's working, what's not. And in this movie, there was the only time I saw it with an audience or anyone was when it played the Moon Tower Comedy Festival. And it was interesting to me was after that point, I couldn't buy a laugh for the next seven minutes. Like, like people don't like me in the theater <laughs> after that. And I was like, oh, I, which I was like, oh, I guess it's good. It yeah. works. And but then you got to dig I, yourself out. <laughs> but I was sitting there going, but are they going to, are they going to come back? You know, are they ever going to like me again? So uh, hopefully it seems like they do. You they know? do. It was well, interesting very because, likable. but we were in the comedy festival and I'm like, well, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's a god. And I was like, how's that going to play? <laughs> yeah, right. you know? And uh, I was relieved when they, they burst into applause when I, <laughs> when, when I said, Jerry Seinfeld finally has an opinion and it's about me. And I was really happy <laughs> to hear comedy nerds laughing at that. Hot dog buns and Bobcat Goldthwait, the two things that get his goat. Lost socks in the dryer and Bob Scratch Goldfarb. I do love that you included your, your beef with Jerry Seinfeld, which I think is something that we talked about uh Bobcat when we, when we yeah. met the, the last time. But the funny thing to me is that I made a decision, and this didn't make the doc, there was some stuff where I made a decision to no longer do the persona that people knew me for. And I just thought it was too indulgent. And then there was, but I wish I had kept the part in where I had made a decision that I could no longer celebrity bash because it really was taking its toll on me. But, you know, the whole thing with Seinfeld is like, that's 20 years ago. And then on that show, on his show, with my friend Bridget Everett, he goes off on me. And it reminded me of like a Western where where I've given up gunslinging. And then <laughs> Jerry comes to the town, uh, you know, the, the town uh, in the middle of the town. And he's like, Goldthwait. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. You know, and he's like, Goldthwait. Like, All right. So I take the 45s off the wall and I. I meet him in the town square. Gunfight at the Friars Club Corral. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's this kind of famous moment in Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee where he talks about you to Bridget Everett, but your name is bleeped, which I think yeah. is very odd. Yeah, that um, was really weird. I don't know if he was worried about a legal thing there or what, what, why they decided to bleep your name. I would almost guarantee that. <laughs> well, I don't bleep anything. Well, I actually do bleep one thing, but the the weird thing, the the creepy thing in that, not not to keep uh, pouring, uh, putting attention on it, but his to me, what I found unsettling as somebody who knows both parties uh, was his obvious delight in his guests' discomfort. Yeah, There's making, a weird making Bridget squirm having and laughing. to kind of defend and, and, yeah. and laughing. I thought that was gross. 
you know, my I'm good friends with and that's his. I don't friend. like him I, <laughs> at all. Oh, no. At all. In fact, I have a particular oh, no. feeling about him. Oh, no. I had kind of forgotten about him. Mm -hmm. And then there was a little article about him in the paper. Mm -hmm. And even in that, there was a veiled reference to his dislike of what I did. Really? Anyway, it didn't have my name, of course. He used to rail against comedians because they weren't as wild and dangerous yeah. as he yeah. was because he sucked. <laughs> okay. There's a really weird edit where it looks like it looks like an edit on a from a Dean Martin roast where <laughs> he's saying all this horrible crap and then Bridget's laughing. It's like if you look at it because I I looked at it because I was editing it. It's like it's clearly that's she's laughing at something else. Oh but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know she's in a she, different outfit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's on a beach. <laughs> but we we should just call this movie. Uh, Cease and desist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because yeah, it'll be interesting <laughs> yeah. for the legal ramifications. But the one thing that is bleep is because because I I said he's uh you know I talk about him banging teenagers, but uh, that's not bleep. But when uh, I called him a Scientologist, which isn't true, he's not a Scientologist. He he just went to Scientology meetings and oh, okay. thinks it's and thinks it's a really good thing for some people. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Especially for the people whose families were destroyed by it. He thinks it's really good. Yeah, I, I was wondering, because I know, yeah, Dana, you said you know you know both parties, and obviously you were on Seinfeld, the show, and, um, you know, I assume you've, you know him for a long time. What's your, what's, your, what's your relationship with him? Professionally courteous, and I literally haven't seen him probably since I was on the show. I mean, Do I, you think you'll be in the next season? <laughs> I don't know if he would even know who I was if he met me. You're the Summer George. I'm the Summer George. We used to, there's a coffee shop across the street from the Scientology Center. And they used to, uh, and uh, you'd sit outside. And they used to come over. They don't do this anymore. And they would solicit you. And they would go, hey, can I ask you a question? And, you know, you could tell. The outfit yeah. was pretty yeah. self evident <laughs> And, and there's that big like, blue building across the street. Yeah. When we were young and ironic, um, we would go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we would, like, engage it for a couple minutes. And then we would go, like, you know what I need? I need a cult. I need <laughs> I need a mind control cult. And then, and then they would get up and storm off. And yeah. just, and I was like, well, well we wasted some of their time. Reverse psychology. Well, a Scientologist <laughs> is supposed to rate a, a conversation, like our conversation. They're listening to this and they go, eh, it's a six, it's a seven, they, you know. And then they're supposed to raise it a few points. That's the thing. Uh, so I worked with this woman who was a Scientologist and she'd come in and she goes, how are you doing today, Bobcat? And I'd be like, you know what? I, I truly don't think I could become happier. I really feel so happy. <laughs> and she would just short out because she couldn't, what? she couldn't what? raise this conversation. No one's ever said that before. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's why Tom, uh, uh, Cruz jumps on that couch because the crowd's already so excited. Yeah. Well, his what job more is, can he do? Yeah. Yeah. So his job is to raise the level. So, <laughs> so he jumped on the couch. I have to say, I worked with Tom Cruise and he was delightful. That's what everybody says. He was delightful. That's, a, that's, the, that's the word on the street. No one has a bad word to say about Tom Cruise. He has to be. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, that's an old Barry Kerman's quote. <laughs> when, 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 you, when you would be like talking about somebody and, uh, and he would go, uh, you'd go, oh, he's a nice guy. And Barry would be like, he has to be. He's not funny. I, on the other hand, can afford to be an asshole. <laughs> The one thing that, that's not in the that's not in the documentary that I was curious about is did you ever talk to Bridget Everett afterwards about what's going through her mind in that 
moment with with Jerry? She, the day it dropped, sent me a text going, hey, there was a really weird thing, and I didn't think it was going to be on the show, but it is in the show, and I'm, I'm really, you know, and, and so she she was squirming, and I was like, hey, man, that's not on you, and, uh, you know. I, <laughs> now it's I, material. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's like I don't, I really don't hate the guy because I don't, it's worse. I don't care about him. You know, I'm not like, I'm not like, oh, that I don't wait. If you wake me up in the middle of the night and I go, huh, Seinfeld, huh. Who are these people? I just, I did think it was interesting. You know, I thought he and I were okay, believe it or not, because his manager is a really sweet guy and, and, uh, I see him a lot and, I, you know, I probably even believe it or not, I probably was close to even like apologizing to him, and then he, and then he went crazy, so weird. What did you Which, feel like you had to apologize for? For just signaling him out, you know. I mean, like, look, you know, when you go on a talk show and you write in a Sharpie on your T-shirt, "Kill Seinfeld," <laughs> uh, which I did do on NBC, uh, you know, that's kind of a dick. That's, hard. that's a little harsh, yeah. That's a little harsh. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you just go, you know, Craig Seinfeld? You know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if you guys could take turns kind of describing what your what each other's how you perceived each other's comedy when you were starting out, especially because now you're on stage together and you really have kind of converged in a way in terms of your styles, but I think you started out pretty different in terms of what you were trying to achieve on stage. So so could you could you describe question. each other's comedy as you perceived it at the beginning? Well, Dana was always funny and he did really well, but he, he, he's the first to say it. And we even say it in the documentary, but uh, he didn't, he never stole material, but he w- would be influenced by other folks. So tonally he would be like, like Jack Gallagher, tonally he'd be like Tom Kenny. So I had a problem with him, but if we really psychoanalyze this, you are what you hate. So if I'm getting upset because I'm seeing him being a little derivative of Tom Kenny, I think it's the part of me that's derivative of Tom Kenny. Tom Kenny's the funniest person I've ever met in my life, and I've known him since I was six years old. So so there's probably parts of me that I didn't like in Dana, so I attacked him. But he was always funny. I, I actually talked to Tom Kenny last night and said that to him, and he said... Um, I don't think you're anything like me. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it could be more different. Yeah. That's my relationship with Dana. And then I saw him change and find his own voice and uh, uh, and go from being someone who I didn't think much of to being someone that I was uh, slightly jealous of, <laughs> which is the um, ultimate comedy compliment. Yeah, right, exactly. right. yeah, I mean, I just to... Uh, give some background when i when i started to do stand up in boston i was i mean i was 17 18 years old and emotionally maturity wise i was probably closer to 13 or 14 just by nature of my weird upbringing and and this and living in a very small town and i really didn't know is at the point where you're trying on personalities like you go to a vintage clothing store and buy a buy a nike jacket and think i'm this guy now and uh so yeah, what what Bob said is really true, and it, it was it wasn't only on stage; it was in life. You know, I was, I was just trying to unelegantly uh, absorb a personality. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, that's that's very very true. Um, as I, I sort of paraphrasing a joke from a really funny comedian uh, named Kenny Rogerson, 
uh, who said, uh, you know, I meet people I knew before I was sober and I just apologize and walk away. I, that's Kenny's <laughs> joke. And I say, uh, I meet people I knew before I was 30 and I just apologize. And walk away. <laughs> that's true. And it was later as I knew who I was as a person and got into my early 20s, uh, mid 20s that I kind of outgrew that. And, and, and that's all true. What, what I always, there's two things about, you know, Bob, to me, the character that Bob did was always, it was a parody of stand-up comedy. Um, like, you know, this is the last guy on earth that should be doing stand-up comedy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and I can see how very dyed in the wool traditional stand-up comedians would be, ins- it would be offended and insulted by that. You know, Bob lived in Boston and he was friends with these guys, Dan Spencer and Tom Kenny, our friends. And then Bob moved to San Francisco, and then I moved onto the same street, and and we became friends. And then Bob later said, "Yeah, I guess that, I guess I was kind of jealous that you kind of stole my friends." And I was like, "Wait, I thought that's what it always was. <laughs> it was something <laughs> no, else. <laughs> it was it was much deeper. You know, it's funny. You know, I was shocked to find out that he was actually terrified of me, and when he divulged that." I felt horrible, but I also knew, oh, this will be great in the movie. Do you feel like there's a an overlap, but a big overlap between your your fans? Is it? Can you tell who's in the audience, who's sort of coming out for which one yeah, of yours? Yeah, I mean, my, my fans, my fans don't have sleeves. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a that's a good tell. And Dana's fans start every question with, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's, not every question, every sentence. Yeah, every is statement. Like, yeah, actually, and it's so funny. Like after the show, uh, you know, you can tell who's who's. Uh, mine are a little bit more on the biker side. <laughs> and, you say at one point that uh, that Trump supporters love Police Academy, and so that's uh, had an impact on your career. <laughs> it did. They were really upset with me, which is always fine. You know, I like to thin out the herd if people think I'm going to you know, double down on their backwards beliefs, you know, and, 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 and I think there's some reason the persona, uh, you know, all the way back to my first standup special, I'm doing material on the Iran Contra hearings and I'm doing, you know, I'm doing all this material, but I don't think people could, could see it. And also if you're a comedy, uh, Nazi, you're not going to go, Oh, well, he's got this persona, but he also has material. You're going to say, that's not how you do it. You, know, <laughs> you walk out and you tell people it's nice to be here and, and you know, you have your hot takes on dating. <laughs> the comedy Nazis terrorized Europe in the 40s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coming up, Bobcat and Dana open up about the harrowing car accident that nearly cost them their lives. And Bobcat reveals what his best friend Robin Williams was really like when the cameras stopped rolling. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. There are so many other great episodes to check out, including conversations with other iconic stand-up comedians like Sarah Silverman, Jim Gaffigan, Patton Oswalt, and more. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to those episodes and everything else from our free archive, and you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Bobcat Goldthwait and Dana Gould. You have this very, uh, you know, dramatic element of the movie that, that comes through because of this car accident that you were in. Um, can you tell the story about what happened? And um... Well, we were going to shoot the first night we were going to shoot. We were pulling into the venue. We didn't wear our seatbelts. We were we could see the venue from our hotel. So it was like a four or five minute car ride. And uh, we got T-boned. But that's all I could tell because I actually don't remember any of the the accident. And I don't I don't. I remember I kept asking if the dog was okay. Yeah, and that's, actually, that's I don't remember that, that. I was told that I kept asking if you yeah. kept asking about Emily, but the 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 dog. We, it's Bronx. Yeah, saved kept, my life. Uh, we yeah, were ta- I was we talking were, about this last night. We wa- we were literally four blocks from the uh, the venue, and so we uh, I walked up uh, and I was going to get in the front seat, and the person who was driving the car they have a they had a little French bulldog that was sitting next to them in the passenger seat. And they went to move the dog, and I went, no, no, I don't, I don't care, I don't care. And I just got in the back seat next to Bob, and then the door of the passenger seat four minutes later was was con. Oh my god, con- yeah. it yeah. didn't exist. Yeah, so and yeah, Brock I would have, I would have, and Brock's fine because he was the size of a, a ham, he, and he got thrown onto the floor. But he just bounced around. Yeah, yeah, I would have been. I had I been sitting in that chair, I would have yeah. been at best, at best, profoundly injured and yeah. it would have been we would have turned into like jan and dean yeah oh my god and uh, <laughs> so my low self-esteem saved my life by by, <laughs> by not insisting the on the front by seat. letting a dog take the good seat i love how you joke about the the media coverage of the accident where it kind of like downplayed <laughs> yeah. you know uh downplayed both you know sort of how how famous you were and uh how serious the injuries were <laughs> yeah well and then kevin hart blew us out of the headlines oh, like three yeah, days the later. Day. Oh, that's tough he had to have a better car accident <laughs> but we were definitely, you know, uh, concussion uh, and broken ribs. I had three broken ribs. Dana had two broken ribs. We were, but, but, you know, it's he and I being in an accident is like, you know how they'll say like uh, a famous person and others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was two <laughs> others. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was no. <laughs> They didn't know how to frame it. They were like, wait. Yeah. There was no headliner. Yeah. Anybody who remembers short attention span theater is reeling today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did wonder if it made you think at all about, you know, 
things like legacy and, and how you'll be remembered and, and those kinds of things. Cause I think it keeps coming up with anyone from, you know, Robin Williams, who, um, Bob, you obviously had a really close relationship with to more recently Norm MacDonald, where this outpouring of love happens. And the, the thing that everyone always says is, well, they never got to see it. They never, you know, they never got yeah. to, to, and to I don't think, experience I don't, it. I don't think any, you know, that kind of love that poured out uh, for Robin, I don't think he could, would have uh, ever been able to, one, let that in and two, comprehend it. But uh, when um, I would say, uh, often I used to think about how would how would I be remembered, but it's changed since the accident. And I haven't told anyone this, including my partner. But since the accident, I do a thing where I uh, every day I, I go, "You're going to die," and I don't do it in a negative way. I go, "You're going to die," and it changes everything. It, it, you know, it doesn't last, but but whenever I think about that, it. Uh, it makes the day so much better. Like, I do that too, but I do that too. But first, I just dial a random number, and then they pick it up. <laughs> Say, you're gonna die. You're gonna die. Uh, yeah. I often wonder how I'll be remembered, and I think it will be with great effort. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I know that people were gonna be like, "I thought he was dead." Yeah, I already. Know. <laughs> That's, that's not what like, you want to hear. There was something like that recently. I forget who it was, but it was like, you know, Irene Ryan has died. Like, what? She was alive? What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. Like Dick um, Van Dyke is still alive. My God. Because a million um, six. Yeah, Betty White. I met Dick Van Dyke, and the whole time I was talking to him, I just wanted to blurt out, I was Bert and Mary Poppins in eighth grade, but I just kept it <laughs> I just kept it cool. He would have been he would have loved that. Yeah, he would have oh, no, I think. But you know what he did was uh he goes, I saw this mime and he was terrible. And I go, I go, did he talk? And then Dick Van Dyke laughed. Like, yeah, he's uh. like, like, oh, you're a comedian, you know. So. <laughs> That's great. It's pretty That's cool. great. Dana, I have to tell you, I, I love your um your joke about Rob Williams and Louis body dementia <laughs> <Yeah>. in this special. <laughs> I've noticed that I do talk about Robin sometimes and I talk about him and I feel weird if it becomes uh a bit, but but I do like to talk about that he had uh, this thing called Louis body dementia, so he didn't process. Now, a lot of people think Louis body dementia is when you don't think you're jacking off in front of a woman against her will, but you are. <laughs> <laughs> this is a different kind. Yeah. <laughs> Hats off, buddy. You made me laugh. <laughs> but that was actually uh, a genuine ad lib. And it, it, oh, yeah. And it threw me off. You see me because like I was about to I was even going to get darker at that point. I was going to talk about suicide and I was going to talk about all this other stuff. And and then he said that and I started laughing. And I, I mean, I still talk about it, but, you know, you can't. You can't plan the times where you're going to leave it all out on stage. If you do, then it's not organic and it feels forced. And and this movie, I don't think we got to that point where we're really out there bleeding on stage. But I do feel it's the most honest portrayal of what it's like to be on the road, where sometimes things land and, and you see the morphous, you see like a bit become a bit like when we go visit his mother in the hospital and then it turns into something on stage. Those things I'm, I'm very, I'm very, uh, 
happy about that to get that like the fact that we talk about something and then it ends up on stage and then it ends up getting polished and becoming a bit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh Dana, do you remember uh, where that 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 joke just came to you in the in the moment? Yeah, or? <laughs> yeah, that just came. The best the best stuff always comes out of your mouth as you're doing it. Um, yeah, like like that bit where we just start riffing when that guy talks about the card dealer locally, and we just go off on a serial killer card dealer, and just becomes like a little minute or so of the special or movie, whatever this thing is. Uh, it. It, that those are the moments that I, I'm happy that are in there because they're not scripted. They're genuinely pretty well crafted and funny. I hope, and uh, that's the stuff. Uh, the idea initially when I wanted to start shooting a whole bunch of shows, you know, it's interesting. I don't think people have picked up on is it's like I knew I wouldn't be doing a giant multi-camera shoot, so I was like, and I wanted it to have the feel of a DIY like a skate skating video. You know, that was really the idea. And, Mission um, accomplished. <laughs> yeah, but but I was like thinking like aesthetically, what what could I do that I with this small group that you don't see in a special? And it's interesting that no one's picked up on it. But because Dane and I uh, have been doing this a million years and we're pretty unflappable, the the camera is sometimes like a foot from our face, you know. And we told the audience that was going to happen, and they were fine with it. So there's like shots that are more without being uh, a, a film twat uh, they're, they're definitely you know they're more it's more lenny than than anything where there's these these reverses and and these you know yeah. these french or even french... like sort of like concert films where they have the cameraman on stage and yeah just to have film, a so... tw- film twat one of the great cinema podcasts by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the fact that there's like i, I don't know many Stand-up specials with French overs. So there we go. Yeah. All right. No, now it I is, am officially a film. It does twat. look. It 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 has a very or, or organic feel, and it doesn't look or feel like a like a you know. Especially it it, it does really put you in the in the in a club, and 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 it's. I'm really really as again as just a guy that's in it. Uh, really proud to be in it because that is what the, what we're doing there is my view of the apex of what I can do as a stand-up. And it felt really great. You know, it, it, it felt really uh, great. And, and, uh, and it, it, it did capture the sense of what it's like to be on the road in a way that's entertaining. And, you know, you do have real conversations in the car and it's not fake. We're, I'm going to play a prank on Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, uh, I'm uh, going to uh, give him dengue fever. But he doesn't know it. (laughs) Well, but the thing was, is that I remember an interview with uh, Robert Klein where he said, you know, I'm doing some of my best shows now and they're for a convention of dentists. (laughs) And I feel like that's where Dana and I are at, where we're we're probably really coming to our stride. But but we're you know, we're we're not on a sitcom. We're not we're not you know, I'm 59 years old. I'm uh um, I'm a cis white male, and uh, I honestly, I honestly feel, <laughs> I honestly feel, my job, even though we made this movie, is to kind of shut up and get out of the way a little. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, totally. You've done, you've done that as a director too, you know, uh, filming other people's comedy and putting the spotlight on 
on people who you whose comedy you like. Yeah, and and folks that I admire, and 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 uh, yeah, I mean, uh, look, I I don't know if this works. Uh, you know, I'm happy you liked it. But I know that normally when you watch a stand-up special, no matter who it is or how how funny they are, there's always a fatigue that comes in at about 45 minutes. And I hope that by by mixing it up with autobiographical material and, and our relationship with each other and our relationship with show business you know it's like dana imploded and i exploded you know i tr- <laughs> i trashed my career he trashed his brain um uh, and, and, and almost around the same time and now we've come all the way through it and and uh right now we're the you know we're the stay-at-home willberries you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i mean talking about Actually, we're actually we're much older than the Wilburys were. Really, I remember we're making all those jokes about the traveling Wilburys, and then you look at them now. It's like he was forty-two. God <laughs> damn it! <laughs> and had already achieved so much. Yeah, exactly. Every everybody looked like Broderick Crawford at the time. Well, this is a, this this is concerts different because it's it's two guys who said this is who we are, and we're not trying to make it. It's like this is what this is who we are. Yeah, yeah I, Bob said and it's really truly. Like, we couldn't have done this ten years ago. Not only, not only just. Uh, and, and the, I don't think we could have shared the stage ten years ago. Oh no! Yeah. Uh, because, <laughs> just because of ego, or yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, look at the, the the name of this job is look at me. <laughs> don't look at him. Look at me. Yeah, and, a comedian's brain walks into a comedy club and goes, "You know what this this room needs? Me up there talking, <laughs> and no one else, and everybody listening to me." You know, yeah. So, There's uh, a real generosity with the uh, going up together. Mon- I'm monitoring an auction right now of a very rare photograph of a comedian in a conversation listening to the other person. It's, uh, <laughs> there's only four of them. <laughs> well, and this, you know, the the thing that makes this different too is like we're not trying to top each other. We're 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 teeing each other up, and sometimes we do top each other and stuff. And and I, I also think it's because we have other careers uh, that you know. Uh, when- when, that we when, that that I that I can do comedy by and large where I want when I want how I want that's a beautiful luxury to have. You know, it's funny because like I would remember, you know, once having a discussion with Robin where he he was kind of on and we were in a restaurant and I was like kind of annoyed. I was like, you know, the, the you couldn't be more loved as a comedian worldwide, not even just in America, worldwide. I don't know why you feel that you need these people in the restaurant to, to, to feel you're funny. And he's like, well, that's my neuroses. And, and mine is, I didn't care if people, like I would do a set and say really in, fucked up things or do really outrageous things on stage. And I wasn't really concerned with killing. I was more concerned that people go, I saw Bobcat Goldthwait last night. You know what he did? He cleaned a dead fish on stage and <laughs> threw it in the audience, which I did. Bobcat, you're weird. <laughs> and so... And so, so, uh, and Robin and I, we started laughing. I go, I, I, uh, your form, <laughs> his form of neuroses is way more lucrative. You know? <laughs> Nobody, it's interesting. That- there's not a lot of money being the turd in the punch bowl. The one time I ever met Robin, he was very not, he was very much not on. And it was later, um, when he was, uh, he was promoting that, uh, Broadway show that he did, the Bengal Tiger. 
and he was he was very you know kind of subdued and and quiet um so maybe i wonder if it was later no, on I he, feel like he it, became I, less less needing to be on all the time i feel like at that point the you know his his louis body dimension was already kind of hitting him uh and i feel that you know, it was misdiagnosed as Parkinson's and it was different when he was taking on jobs like that, where he, he was obsessed with making sure he got his lines right and things like that. It, it, so he was already battling it. But, you know, hindsight, you know, um, and and he didn't want people to know that he had uh, what they had misdiagnosed as Parkinson's. But, you know, he, he got the. Yeah, I don't, whatever. So it's his story, but, but it's a shame. And like, he got really quiet and, and I was witness to that too. And it would be really strange. Um, cause I knew he was seeing all these doctors and I knew he was sober and I knew he was doing all this. It was just strange that he started getting quiet. Yeah. You, know. you talk in the, in the special about the, the curse of being your friend. Um, <laughs> well, Dana did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, actually he had a longer list of people who I know yeah. that. So that Kurt, Kurt, yeah. Kurt Cobain is someone you knew, or uh, I don't know, you know well, how close like we you were, were, but we were, we were, uh, uh, we were friendly. You know? mm-hmm. Who was, who was the longer, what was the longer list that we didn't get in the film? Kurt oh, Cobain, was Barry, Barry, Barry Crim and Robin. Robin. David Bowie, you know, but I'm, it's, I'm in a bunker now. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Are you, are you, are you afraid for your life? Are you, uh, how are you, but that's how such are you doing? A, but that, that is such a funny thing. And Dana, you know, that wasn't premeditated. Dana came up with that live on stage and, and, uh, and later on I was like, Oh, this is, this is such a nice, uh, well, people have to see it, but, but, you know, that's the kind of stuff we couldn't do as a solo act, obviously. And I think the two of us on stage listening to the other person, we're almost playing the audience and the audience gets permission to go, Hey, I think Dana went a little too far with this KKK <laughs> bit. <laughs> or, or is, or is Bobcat really going to go talk about uh, a plane full of folks with down syndrome? Um, I, I love the part. I get, I get, <laughs> not to get so super inside baseball, but I love the, the part. The thing really made me laugh is uh, when I was talking about how repressed I am. I was talking about when I, when I, when I'm in a hotel room and I decide to masturbate, and uh, and and Bob goes, "Wait, where am I in this?" Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's, he's he's doing he's miming and creating the whole the whole world. I love that too. You know, when I was editing this together, it made me laugh. It's like I I so I looked at my stand up for the first time ever. And I'm watching me and I'm climbing up uh, the, I'm climbing up a wall into a balcony and I'm <laughs> running around and I'm doing all this stuff. And now I'm just sitting back and Dana's doing all the physical stuff. <laughs> and I, I turned into Dean. Yeah. You, know, you, just get, uh, you can just relax now. I'm just sitting back. Yeah. I go, well, that's. That's cut one out, way to do it, son. Cut out, make. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we get to the the end here, I wanna I wanna do our our segment uh, called the first laugh, um, where I ask you guys about some firsts in your career, and maybe if you can each give an answer, or if you don't have to have an answer for every one. But um, I would love to start with uh, looking back, the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard uh, growing up as a kid, if you remember. Oh, I, I definitely was Abbott and Costello. Like, it, it, you know, but my home was 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 an insane place. So, you know, my dad trying to jump the pool on a dirt bike, uh, the above ground pool on a dirt bike, you know, so 
Uh, when I finally realized that he really wasn't going to do that stuff, it was pretty <laughs> funny. But I watched Abbott and Costello a lot as a kid, and 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 I realized that uh, Lou Costello is 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 a child, and I think that's why I thought he was funny. You know, I mean, you know, Martin and Lewis love each other, and uh, Abbott and Costello are are a very unhealthy relationship. It's a child. <laughs> yeah. It's a child with a really abusive stepdad. That's basically <laughs> the dynamics in there. But I used to really laugh watching them. Uh, but the first laughs I got, and I don't really actually think it's funny, uh, but my sisters uh, would always put me in, in, in skirts and dresses. And, yeah, it's, um, a, it's an easy laugh as a kid. Well, but I just never think it's funny <laughs> even to this day. A guy in drag's not funny to me. But I also knew even as a little kid that if I didn't camp it up, if I just remained myself, it was a lot funnier. Like even as a little boy, yeah, I would yeah. just I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't You're do doing it. Doing a deadpan kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I w- I was just a dude in a dress, which I <laughs> ran with all the way to my high school years. All right, Dana. Uh, it's funny. So I think because uh, again, like my, my childhood home was a lot like Bob's, uh, except my dad wasn't fun uh, at, the, <laughs> at the time. Um, but you know, there's a lot of you know, like I remember watching like George Carlin would come on TV and the house would. There were three things that would shut everybody up in the house, and it was, you know, aside from a sports game, it'd be like George Carlin would be on TV, a Clint Eastwood movie would be on TV, or the Three Stooges would be on TV, and those are like the three things outside of the Red Sox that everybody would shut up and watch. Um, I, I, the three things that I remember as a very little kid was uh, Don Knotts on the Andy Griffith Show, Tim Conway on the Carol Burnett Show, and and. Uh, Lou Costello and Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein specifically when uh, Dracula is coming out of his costume and he's going <laughs> <laughs> like that is just uh, classic. And then you know I uh, I well, both of us came of age when the original SNL took off and uh, and and that was such a huge formative uh, uh, experience for me. It, it's so weird. I'm now I'm now. I mean, I'm very good friends with Lorraine Newman. Uh, and um, yeah, in fact, the other night we went to the Griffith Park Haunted Hayride together. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, that sounds and fun. It, it was great. It was great. Lorraine's the best. And But it, it's it's very strange to me to be hanging out with yeah, Lorraine Newman. It's I can like, imagine. But you for me, know? it's like when I was a kid, there was like, you know, the guys who liked uh, Farrah Fawcett and all that crap. Cheryl Ladd. You know, and for me, it was Lorraine Newman and Gilda Radner. They were so, so hot. Yeah, they were funny. <laughs> yeah, because they were funny, they were yeah. Funny. Um, do, you remember, Chardoff, too. do you each remember the, the first joke that you told that, that really worked, that really connected to an audience, first joke or bit that you kind of could go back to and that, that you felt like, oh, I, I can do this? Well, I was, I was probably like, I was on Bozo in East Syracuse, in Syracuse which... <laughs> So it wasn't the bozo. It was like a farmed out bozo. It was bozo. a bozo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I told a joke on the show, and I got, I would have got a laugh, but some kid uh, peed uh, well, during my bit. <laughs> I guess it got a laugh, but it wasn't. Do you remember <laughs> the joke? Yeah, it was something about a riddle about a, a guy who leaves on Sunday and a horse on Sunday and then comes back uh, 10 days later on Sunday. How how that happened? And then Bozo, because he's an idiot, didn't get it. And I go, Sunday <laughs> Sunday was the name of the horse. 
But during that, I look over and this kid had made some art for Bozo out of a pie tin <laughs> and the kid's another kid's peeing on the, the and you hear ding, 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 ding. So I'm trying to tell the joke and I'm like, how do you compete over. with that? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> the kids are all dying. So <laughs> I thought I was killing, but uh, I learned uh, work blue. That's what I learned that day on Bozo. <laughs> um, uh, well, I have two brief stories. One, I was, again, I was lived in a very, very small little mill town in Massachusetts and I, I knew everybody like I didn't, you know, I grew up, I didn't really meet people I didn't know until I went to college and I was known to be funny and I was a lector at church and, you know, you go up before the mass and you're like a, a reading from the book of Isaiah or whatever. And I would do it and people would, would laugh. And the, the more serious I would try to be, the more they would laugh because I was just like known to be funny. And at one point, Father Riga uh, pulled me in and said, it's, uh, it's just not working. It's just, I, got, I got fired. I got fired by the Catholic Church. Uh, that's tough. Um, but I remember the first time I did stand up at the Ding Ho. That was and, the uh, first time comedy saved Dana. It was. It really was. <laughs> um, I had a joke that, to this day, I think like oh, that was a that was a good professional quality joke. Uh, and this is June of 1982. I was 17, and it was a uh, um, I was Roman Catholic. You know, you, Roman Catholic Church. They turn the wine to blood, but that doesn't work at the beach. You can't be drinking on the beach and have the cop go, "Hey, ditch the wine." I'm sorry, it's the blood of Christ. What about the two six packs? I'd like you to meet the twelve apostles. That's a professional <laughs> joke. Yeah, that's pretty good. Seventeen years old. I would say my first joke, joke, uh, and I was probably thirteen or fourteen. Was I lost my job? That joke. I lost my job. Well, I didn't really lose it. I know it is still. Just when I go there, there's this new guy doing it. And then <laughs> I would do a callback at the end of the set, and I'd say, "I lost my girlfriend." Well, I didn't really lose her. I know where she yeah. is. Just when I go, there's this new guy doing it. So, uh, but, uh, and I would do that in the persona. So. Yeah. Yeah. Which you could imagine. We can, we can all imagine what that would have sounded like. Uh. Or maybe not. You might have some Gen Z's that don't know who grandpa and grandpa are. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. We like to think of ourselves as the Bartles and James of alternative comedy. The alternative comedy sunshine boys. Statler and Waldorf of all yes. comedy. <laughs> Dana, do you remember the first joke that you got on The Simpsons? Yes, I do. In fact, somebody quote somebody was at our house and quoted it as one of their favorite jokes. And I went, I wrote that joke. That was my first joke. <laughs> and uh, and I will I will balance it by my favorite joke in an episode that I wrote that I not only did I not write it, I don't know who did write it, but um, there was an episode called Homer the Drudge where it was uh, Homer started the gossip website and then ended up being sent to the island from the prisoner. Uh, you know, again, we're hewing down the mainstream. And, uh, <laughs> and like in the prisoner, uh, he tries to escape and they send giant white balls after him. Like in the British show, The Prisoner, and Homer takes out a pin and pops the balloon, and then they cut back to the security base, and the guy goes, "Why do we use balloons as security?" And then my joke was, "Shut up, that's why." And that was <laughs> that, that, that took about. And then, by the way, the, the room the room was at a dead halt for about forty five minutes. How to, to, to get come past up that, that point? Yeah, yeah, and uh, so that was uh, that was <laughs> that was pretty great. I love those very simple, beautiful jokes. George Meyer wrote. George Meyer. Uh, wrote a lot of the great Ralph Wiggum, like 
my cat's breath smells like cat food. This is a George Meyer one. I had I had one for Ralph Wiggum where he went into the adults only section of the comic book store and you just hear him say, Everybody's hugging. That was yeah, <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> yeah. um, well, th- there was one that in an episode that you wrote that you that, that you yeah, didn't I wrote write the a, joke. No, yeah, I wrote an episode called uh, called Papa's Got a Brand New Badge where Homer started the home security system, and uh, basically all the episodes I wrote, you could see where I was in my life at the time that I wrote the episode. I bought a house, had a baby, um, uh, and uh, they are doing a commercial for the home security system, and this old woman is sitting alone, and these Maurice Sendak like monsters come into the into her house and she goes help monster and then homer comes out you're safe with spring shield and then he gives the monster his card and the monster takes the card and just goes <laughs> monster put in wallet and he takes <laughs> out a wallet and, but there's a wait so it's a real monster and he's in the commercial does the monster know it's a commercial I'm, I'm i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure that joke was written by the great tom gamble but i'm not 100 <laughs> it's in my episode and it ain't mine <laughs> But it's my favorite joke. So finally, um, just to give a shout out to comedy, something that's making you laugh right now, um, can you each um, highlight something that you that's really making you laugh right now? The last piece of comedy that that really made you laugh? Oh, that's a great question. That's car- that's current, <laughs> or or it might not be current, but you may have watched it recently. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan. Yeah, well, I'm a, there's a lot of comedians that I'm friends with, and I, you know, I'm a big fan of Sam Morell, uh, who's just yeah, he's uh, been on this podcast. He's fantastic. He's the, he's the best. Hannah Hannah Einbinder, super super funny. Megan Keister, my friend James Fritz. I mean, these are people that are that that I watch and the, that I'm amazed by. But you know, I'm pretty i'm not that edgy you know uh uh ted lasso uh <laughs> that does it for me that's a uh, that's a that's a shocker right there that, that i know bobcat like, goldthwaite loves ted lasso i feel like it's a, yeah uh, i mean I really i think proves how it, everyone loves that show yeah but i don't think i'm that you know i i it's hopeful and i don't see where it's going so that's great i think that's a really hard right to do to write something like that i i do the yeah and i like the idea that it is not so acerbic. I did a, Bob did it too. I have a little show on YouTube called Hanging with Dr. Z, which is basically like a lot of people do. Uh, they'll get to a point in your career where you make a talk show with Dr. Zayas. And, um, <laughs> uh, but we found very early that whenever it was acerbic and sort of stinging, it didn't work. It's very Sammy is the Sammy Davis. Is, it's super dumb and super silly and super kind-hearted. And I think that that's the only way it works. And that's a nice relief. And that's coming from, and, you know, uh, two people that are, are like, people go, oh, you're so dark. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, people always think of me as dark and I don't Say not the both of us to get it. I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> never mind. Well, I don't think I'm dark. And then as Never mind. Then the next thing that comes into your head is uh... well, it was like I I took Barry Crimmins to be cremated, you know, when he, I mean, when he was dead, I didn't do it. Yeah, not not uh, when he was alive, pre- not prematurely. And and the guy goes, "Do you want to push the button on the crematorium?" And I go, "I'm not mad at him." <laughs> so the fact that you know the fact that cracking wise at this moment but that's always been a defense in my whole family and stuff you know that that you always you always make sure but i felt like 
you know, the, the world is so, so dark and the most contrarian thing I could do at this moment was, uh, I, I wrote like a kid's movie. That's the last thing I did. I wrote like a G rated film. Um, because to me to write a hopeful movie during these times felt very, that was the challenge, you know, can you, can you, you know, and, and every time I make a movie, it's always like, can you, and, and the, and Joyride, the can you was, can you make a narrative and entertain people? And can you even be in it and, 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 and make a thing that people enjoy. So I hope people <laughs> like it. Yeah. Well, I, I really loved the, the movie and I think people will really enjoy it. And, uh, it was nice to see you again. Yeah. Thanks guys. This was really fun. Thank, thank you. you. Oh man. Thank you so much to Bobcat Goldthwait and Dana Gould for that super fun conversation. Please do yourself a favor and stream Joyride on Apple TV, Google Play, or wherever you can rent and buy movies online. We'll put a link to view it in the description for this episode as well. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.